Our Father in heaven, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God made flesh who dwelt among us and still today dwells among us by his Spirit. In Jesus, O God, your fullness dwells. And in him, you have made yourself known to us freely, generously. You have been so kind, so good to us by not holding yourself back from us, O God. But in love, those of us who belong to Christ, you have drawn to yourself. And by the sacrifice of him, you reconciled us to yourself. And it's in his name alone that we dare to approach you to this morning in worship. But, oh Lord, because of the sin that still dwells in us, we still remain largely ignorant. Because of our, our sluggishness and what we, what we sang earlier, our lack of faith and believing, we are often slow to hear and to believe what you have said. So often our hearts love the world and the things in the world, the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And so, Lord, we ask you this morning to forgive us that slowness, which leads to a slowness to obey. We ask you this morning for a moving in our hearts by your Spirit as your word is preached. We ask for a fresh sight of you, O God, as we look into your word, for a greater awakening of our own sin, that we may confess and forsake it and so obtain mercy as you have promised. We ask for grace, Lord, that we might pray more as Jesus taught us to pray, Father, to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Be pleased today to bless the proclamation of your word which you have given to us for our instruction. And now we, as your people, pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Just a few years ago, Lifeway Research, which is a Christian group, conducted a survey of a thousand Americans to find out what they think about sin. Now, when I first saw that number, I said, a thousand Americans, this should be interesting. Doesn't seem like a very big number to me. But the results were interesting and it revealed that there is significant confusion in our nation, as if this were to surprise anyone here, about the topic of sin and what sin does to us and in us. Turns out, 67% of Americans admit they are sinners. I thought that was a little high. First, that surprised me. I thought, it, I thought it sounded encouraging. But then I saw another figure that, in, of that research that said that 74% of Americans reject the idea that a small sin can condemn you. In other words, they deny the truth of James 2.10 that says that if anyone keeps the whole law but fails in just one point, he's guilty of breaking all of it. And add to that the fact that 52% of Americans believe that they can help earn their way to heaven by doing good deeds. And what we quickly come to realize is there's a lot of confusion and a great lack of biblical understanding of sin, guilt, and what to do about it. 
But God, on the other hand, has not left us any ambiguity in what to think about sin and how to deal about with sin. In the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us that as Christians, the way we deal with our sin is by going to our Father daily and seeking his forgiveness for Jesus' sake. He teaches us to say, forgive us our debts. Forgive us, Lord, Father, your children, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. But, as we started to talk about last week, for us as Christians, that leads us to what seems to be, on the face of it, a problem. Why do we, as those who have been forgiven, and that's what makes us part of God's family, the, uh, gives us the privilege to call him Father, why do we need to ask for forgiveness every day if we already have forgiveness? We began to talk about this last week, and then upon having several conversations with various folks, I thought it would be helpful to press into this more, take another week on this petition. Why do forgiven sinners need to ask forgiveness? And what does that look like for a Christian on a day-to-day basis? What, what should it look like in your life to be asking for forgiveness? And I wanted to also add to this, what are the benefits to you as a Christian of making this a regular part of your prayers? So the question I want to answer first is this, why do forgiven sinners need to ask for forgiveness? Again, I began to answer that last week, but I was not as clear as I, many of you probably received the email I sent out after last Sunday's sermon. I was not as clear as I might have been. So clarity is what I really hope to achieve this morning in this first point. And so I think it will be helpful for us to look at several passages of Scripture that pertain to this. And, and I want to focus on two things that are crystal clear. And I want us to all have those crystal clear in our minds, absolutely right, as we seek to answer this question. The first is, the first crystal clear truth in Scripture is this. God's children are to regularly pray for forgiveness. That God, I summed up the, the, the substance of the fifth petition this way, or I should say I expanded on it this way because it's already about as short as you could make it. I expanded on it by saying that we are to regularly pray for God's gracious pardon of all of our sins for Christ's sake. Remember how closely connected this petition was with the previous one? Jesus doesn't even end his sentence where he asks us to pray for daily provision of our needs, our physical needs, our material needs. Before he even finishes that sentence, he adds this, and forgive us our debts. This prayer for pardon. In other words, he's teaching us that a prayer for pardon must be as regular a part of our prayers as a prayer for provision. And they're connected. And this is because, brothers and sisters, I'm talking to you at this moment, those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you whose faith is in Jesus alone for salvation, even though we are saved, we're still sinners. We still sin. We still, we, we, can't, get, we can't get out of bed in the morning many times without sinning in our thoughts and offending God. And as often as we sin, understand this, as often as we sin, we put ourselves more into God's debt, even as Christians. And that's why Jesus calls it debt. As long as we are sinners, we will need to ask for forgiveness. 
And I think that's why Jesus uses the word debt here. It communicates the idea of not just a few scattered offenses here and there, but a steady accumulating of debt that needs forgiveness. We're constant sinners in need of constant forgiveness. Just like each day we sin afresh, each day we need a fresh pouring of God's forgiveness and mercy. This teaching is all throughout Scripture. It is instructive, by the way, that there are, there are two places in the New Testament where Jesus taught us to pray. This is, the mo- this is the most expansive. And then there's another place where the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is in Luke 4. And in both of those prayers, as short as they are, the prayer for forgiveness is there. Jesus' disciples are to ask for forgiveness. The other place is Luke eleven four. 4, by the way. The Psalms are full of David. David, the man after God's own heart. If anyone was a believer, if anyone was forgiven of his sin, it was David. If ever there was a true saint, David was one, and he's asking forgiveness from God all the time. Psalm 25, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And scripture is equally clear that upon that confession of sin and that seeking for forgiveness, forgiveness is granted. Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. This is David again. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what is the result? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I confessed, you forgave. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is written to believers. We confess our sins in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, God forgives us. Therefore, God's children must regularly seek forgiveness. Crystal clear in Scripture. But there's something equally clear in Scripture that we need to get our minds around if we want to have a balanced understanding. And this is where perhaps I was not clear as I should have been last week. And that's this. God's children are completely forgiven already. God's children, or I'll say it another way, God's children are already forgiven. We need to have this clear in our mind. This is the good news of the gospel, is it not? When a sinner becomes convicted of sin and cries out to God for mercy, trusting the death of Jesus Christ alone to be the full and final substitutionary payment for his sin or her sin, that person is forgiven. That's the gospel, is it not? Never do they need to worry that their past, present, or future sins can ever condemn them. They cannot come into judgment. They have passed from death into life, John 5, 24. Christ's blood is paid for them. As Jesus himself cried out on the cross, as he died for sinners, it is finished. Scripture is full of beautiful promises to those who are trusting in Christ. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Hebrews 10, 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. We can be sure that all of this is true because as the author of Hebrews writes, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in another place, the author of Hebrews, for by a single offering, he has perfected forever, for all time, those who are being sanctified, you and me, Christians. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins to forgive them, to put them away, to separate them from us as far as the east is from the west, and to give us his own righteousness in their place so that our sins can never, ever, ever condemn us before God. So, as we consider this a question, this question of why do Christians need to ask for daily forgiveness, we have to hold both of those truths equally before us. We must ask for forgiveness even as we are already forgiven. So how do we make sense of that? Well, the way we make sense of that is to realize that forgiveness is used in Scripture in basically two different ways. And this is the answer to the riddle, so to speak. Remember last week we talked about how the word forgive, what it means is to let go. To let, to let go of, uh, to, to release someone from the debt that they owe you. And that's why we, Jesus uses forgive us our debts. It's, it's the same terminology. To consider the balance cleared. The Bible uses this same word forgive, it uses it in a legal sense, legal debt, and it also uses it in a relational sense. Relational debt. And this is the difference. In the legal sense, when God forgives you, he forgives all of your sins, past, present, and future. Let me be clear about that. The punishment for those sins have been placed on Christ. Colossians 2.14, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nothing can ever change that. You are a new creation. You are made the righteousness of God in Christ. So now understand something. When Jesus teaches you as a child of God to pray for forgiveness, that's not what he's telling you to pray for. Because that is done. That's not the kind of pardon he's talking about. What Jesus is talking about here is parental forgiveness, relational forgiveness. The debts that we accrue each day are the offenses we make against our Father. Every little sin, brothers and sisters, I think sometimes maybe the reason we might not take confession and asking forgiveness as seriously as we should is because we forget that every single little sin we commit is an offense to God first and foremost. Don't we tend to forget this? Sometimes I think we make more of how my sin affects me than it does God. How often we talk about how we are struggling with a sin. And that's not wrong. But how often, how often do we talk about how when we forget to spend time with God in the morning, how it ruins our day? What about God? It's him you offended. It's him that you chose to make something else a priority over. To worship another God in his place. Or we talk about how our sin affects our relationship with our spouse or our kids 
or our friends or our coworkers or our neighbors. What about God? Psalm 51.4. Do you remember, do you remember the, at least by tradition, the context in which Psalm 51 was written? After King David took another man's wife, slept with her, had a child by her, and killed the man, could we say that of any sin, he sinned against other people? But this is what he says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, Psalm 51.4. In David's view, God is the one he sinned against before anyone else. His relationship with God was harmed. Ephesians 4.30 says that our sins grieve the spirit of God that dwells within us. So when we remember this, it makes sense that we need to come to him every day and ask forgiveness. If every single one of my sins is an offense against him, then it makes sense that I need to ask for forgiveness. It removes the pile of offenses that builds up between us by my continual sin. Perhaps an illustration here would be helpful to illustrate that what it is we're asking for when we ask for forgiveness from God. So let's say there's a 15-year-old young man who has a problem with disrespect and temper towards his parents. Not that that's ever true of any of us. So we would understand that in order to restore that relationship, let's say he has an outburst one day and he calls his parents names, great disrespect. We would understand that in order for that relationship to be restored, that young man had better ask his parents forgiveness. And until he does, there's something between them. We can't just ignore it and move on. Now, when he comes and asks for forgiveness, is he asking, parents, please don't disown me? I know you're going to if I don't ask. I know you're going to kick me out of the house. You're going to tell me to find another place to live. Is that what he means? I certainly hope not. And in most cases, the answer is an obvious no. He's not asking for them to not disown him as a child. He's asking for that relationship to be restored and for them to consider that sin because of his own, his own humility now. He's asking them to consider that sin dealt with. It's no longer between us. So it is with our relationship with God. Similar, except for the fact that every single one of our sins, I want to make sure this point is clear, every single one of our sins, down to our wrong thoughts, our lustful intents, every single small little worry, our impatience is all against him. And we forget that. We tend to pass off. I think we don't confess because we don't take our sin as seriously as God takes our sin. One more thought on this before I go on to this next point. How can a Christian, brothers and sisters, how can a Christian who, is, who, who by the influence of the Holy Spirit has come to know the depth of his or her own depravity and ongoing sin not confess and not want to confess more? Brothers and sisters, insensitivity to sin is the sign of an unregenerate heart, an an unforgiven heart, one that has not been born again. Not, 
insensitivity to sin is not, should not be a characteristic of a Christian. Now that we are a new creation in Christ and his very spirit dwells within us, should our hearts not break more than ever over the ongoing sin that we commit? Will not the spirit that we trust make our consciences more and more tender over time rather than less and less? So that we will start to grieve not only over the outward sins that we commit, but over the heart that caused them. We're the temple of the living God and will the Holy Spirit that dwells within us allow sin to go unaddressed? Confession and a plea for forgiveness is normal and healthy in a Christian's life. And if it's not there, there's great cause for concern. And if you are here this morning and you do not regularly confess sin before the Lord, then I, I encourage you to check your heart and ask God to check your heart. Because we know we're sinners, and therefore, how are we dealing with our sin? Now, with a right understanding of why we need to ask for forgiveness, I want to try to answer the how question. How does a child of God do this? What does this look like? What should this look like in your life? And I'm not, I don't by any means pretend to say this is exactly how your confession time should look every day because I don't have the authority nor the desire to do that. But I do want to warn against maybe some common misunderstandings and try to give you a hope that this is something that you can do. This is something that is, is, not, that is not intended to be a burden. So we might be tempted to say, that, for, that asking for forgiveness every day could be as simple as, forgive me my debts, amen. In sort of a trite way, which would seem to not be very sincere, if you truly know your sin. Someone who is sincere in asking forgiveness will be seeking to confess and forsake all their known sins. And where they're not aware, they want to be made more aware, so that they can confess them and forsake them and obtain mercy. But, on the other hand, asking forgiveness should not become a burdensome, legalistic thing either. As if I were to forget one little sin and not ever even think about it again, that one little sin is somehow going to affect me for the entire rest of my life, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to ever quite have God's favor on my life if I don't remember to forsake that one thing that I did ten years ago. That's not the point either. After all, the purpose of praying this is to relieve our consciences before God, not bind them. So, I want to give four suggestions. Not suggestions, they're actually implications of this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Petition number five, forgive us our debts. First, is to make dealing with your sin a regular part of your prayer life. Dedicated devoted time to confessing sin. Spend focused, intentional time talking with your father about your offenses against him. This was important enough of an issue that Jesus made it one of the six petitions. In Luke 11, I believe there are four petitions, and it's one of those four. He obviously intends 
for us to be intentional in remembering to ask for forgiveness and to talk to him, have a dialogue with him about our sin. So resolve, first and foremost, to set aside a period of time every day to talk to him about your sin. Second, then we need to confess our sins. Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts. There is an ownership. We talked about this last week. There's an ownership of the debt. This is my debt. I understand it is a debt, and I understand that it is sinful, and that it is an offense against you, and it's mine. I own it. So to confess means to agree with God, to agree with, to say the same thing as. So when you confess or you acknowledge your sin, you are agreeing with God that it's there, and you are agreeing with God about his perspective on it. It's sin and how it has put you in his debt. So first, uh, the Apostle John talks a lot about light and darkness. And the picture he gives us is that God is in the light. And as long as we are walking in sin and not confessing it, we're in the darkness. And how in the world can we say there is fellowship there between light and darkness? There is none. And so what you're seeking to do when you confess your sin is to walk in the light where God is and drag your sin out of the dark corners of your heart into the light where it will be exposed rather than letting it linger in the shadows and in the corners of your heart. This is what David expresses in Psalm 32. Again, verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. That's what it means to confess. We must freely admit to our Father that it is we who have sinned. And, And by the way, it's only when we call sin what it is that we can ask for forgiveness. Our culture, well, I'll, t- I'll talk more about that later, but we, we, our culture does a, a, a fine job of excusing sin by putting other names on it. I'll, we'll come back to that. But as long as sin is allowed to stink and fester, unconfessed and dismissed as if it's nothing, the more it will breed more of itself. Third, We must seek to be as specific as possible in confessing our sin. Jesus tells us to ask forgiveness for our debts. Debts. There's an S. That means there's going to be more than one. Debts, plural. Not debt in general, but specific debts. Call them out by name. Name them one by one. And where you, if you're coming up short... Ask God to reveal more. Your irritability with your spouse. The word you let slip at work. The second look you allowed yourself to take at the person, at the, the attractive person at the grocery store or at Lake George. The impatient muttering under your breath in traffic. And when you name them, again, this is getting back to what I said earlier, call them what scripture calls them. Don't excuse them. We have nice names. Like, instead of anger and hatred of our brother, as Jesus would call it, we say it's frustration or losing my temper. Instead of committing adultery in my heart, we might call it just being a guy. But when you confess before the Lord, stop the pretenses. He's not fooled by that. And ask him to reveal your own heart to you to show you the sinfulness of your own sin and own the responsibility for it. Don't blame your sin on anybody else. I want to give you an example of what this might look like. 
There's a book of Puritan prayers called The Valley of Vision, and this one is called Sins. Merciful Lord, pardon all my sins of this day, week, year, all the sins of my life. Sins of early, middle, and advanced years. Of omission and commission. Of morose, peevish, and angry tempers. Of hard-heartedness, unbelief, presumption, pride. Of deficiency in outspoken zeal for Christ's glory. Of bringing dishonor upon your great name. Of deception, injustice, untruthfulness in dealings with, my other, with others. Of impurity in thought, word, and deed. Of covetousness, which is idolatry. There's an example of calling it what it is. That's what scripture says. When you want something that's not yours, that's worshiping an idol. Sins in private and in the family. In study and in recreation. In the study of your word and in the neglect of it. In prayer, irreverently offered and coldly withheld. In time misspent. Do you ask God forgiveness for wasted time? In opening my heart to Satan's temptations. In being unwatchful when I know him near. In quenching the Holy Spirit. Sins against light and knowledge. Against conscience and the restraints of your spirit. Against the law of eternal love. Pardon all my sins. Known and unknown. Felt and unfelt. Confessed and not confessed. Remembered or forgotten. Good Lord, hear. And hearing, forgive. An example of what it might look like to confess your sin. This might sound exhausting at first, but remember, the point is not to legalistically check a list, check a box for, try and go through your memory so that you can just find boxes to check. If that's what we think it's about, we've missed the point. The goal is, the point is to gain God's perspective, to share God's perspective on your sin and to make use of the means he's provided to obtain forgiveness and to obtain a clear conscience. And then third, or fourth rather, is to simply ask God to forgive you because that's all you can do. You can't make a deal with God. You can't strike a bargain. You need to simply lay yourself at his feet, throw yourself on his mercy. A full, free cancellation of the debt that you know you can't pay. You can't pay your debt any better now that you're a Christian than you could before you were a Christian. Our hope is only for God to grant that pardon to us by his own goodwill. This is why David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Which brings us to another point. And in this asking of forgiveness, always do it in the name of Jesus because there is no other basis for forgiveness. We have no hope of forgiveness apart from him. His blood once shed. It's never our asking or our confessing or our repenting in and of itself that could somehow merit God's forgiveness. No. We're merely applying once again, today, as I have done every other day, Lord willing, 
to Christ's blood once shed to cover our debts. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light, and in this context he's talking about bringing your sin into the light, confessing it, forsaking it, and walking in holiness. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus his Son today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and at the end of your life that will be the basis for your forgiveness. And Christian, this is what makes asking forgiveness a freeing thing rather than an enslaving thing or a, or, or, or a burdensome thing. Because we are absolutely guaranteed forgiveness, freedom. Remember, if, when, when we confess and there is forgiveness, there's an absolute cancellation of that debt. It's removed. And any lingering shame that we feel must be dealt with. It's, it's of our own making. Coming daily to be washed in the blood of Christ gives peace. We don't have to carry around our sin and the weight of it until the passage of time just kind of takes the edge off of it. We can be free now, today, immediately upon confession and asking forgiveness. So I hope that by this time it is clear why asking forgiveness is necessary and even some helps to how it might look in your life. But third, today I want to talk about the fact that there are even benefits to you as a Christian in confessing your sins. By the way, I am, this, this sermon today is primarily for Christians. Not much of what I am saying applies to you if you have not come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins for the first time. And that's where you would need to start. Some benefits to the Christian for confessing your sins. I'll leave you with five. Number one, bringing your sins regularly into the light for forgiveness cultivates in you a spirit that is valuable to God, namely a humble and contrite spirit that pleases God. When your heart is broken by your sin and you see clearly the desperate need you have of God's mercy even today, then you are where he wants you. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, verse 3, when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because see, the pride that is so native to our hearts doesn't ever allow us to get there. It prevents us from ever confessing sin. When pride exists in us, we're insensitive to sin. We don't see sin in ourselves. We don't think much of it when we do see it. We tend to rely on ourselves and our good deeds to get us where we think we need to go. We're prayerless. We don't ask God for the things that we need. And therefore, it's a heart that is not growing in holiness. A proud heart tends to focus way more on the sins of other people than on the sins of self. Instead of realizing my biggest problem is me. Really, my only problem is me. But when we confess our sins, then we begin digging away at that pride. And that pride is native to all of us, brothers and sisters. We start to dig away at that pride. We begin to see our own helplessness and our great need for God to extend his mercy once again. Back to Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. 
David says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So it cultivates that kind of spirit in us. Number two, it restores fellowship with God. Confession and asking forgiveness restores fellowship with God. I already talked about this, so I won't talk about it much. But when we are finally willing to agree with God and admit that there is something between us, then we can ask for forgiveness and we can begin to move closer to him. The prophet Isaiah made this point in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Friend, whether you feel it or not, this is true. And the less you feel it to be true, the more in danger you are. The more desperate your condition is. But praise God, he provided a way for that fellowship to be restored through Jesus' blood. And for those of us who are saved, praise him. Praise him and thank him for the work of his spirit in our heart that will continually draw us back to him, that will continually and more and progressively more and more throughout our life reveal more sin to us that we can then confess. He's faithful. Number three, both of what I've said so far lead to this one. When you regularly confess your sins to the Lord, you are taking the first step to kill that sin and grow in holiness. You're taking the first step to kill the sin and grow in holiness. Romans 8 and Colossians 3 speak of putting to death the deeds of the body, putting to death what is earthly in you, the sin that is resident in you. See, if if a sin can lurk in the shadows the, the shadows, the corners of your heart where it's unnoticed, then its attack will be all the easier next time. But if it's dragged into the holy light of God's presence and shown to be what it is in all of its ugliness, and you confess that, and then it's banished by the forgiveness of Christ, then the more you're going to be on guard against it the next time. The next time it tries to attack. See, confession isn't all that's necessary. This is just the beginning. There is... Uh, it's not some magic charm that all of a sudden, once you've confessed your sin, you're never going to struggle with it again. You must repent. You must be watchful over your heart. You must pray against that sin, all the while putting on the armor of God to fight it. But confessing and seeking forgiveness is the first step. And so let's start there. Number four, forgiveness of sin brings quietness and peace to your conscience. When God's children sin, he, again, he's too merciful to just let you continue in that. The weight that you feel when you sin and it's not confessed, that's from him. An unbothered sinner is a graceless sinner. An unbothered sinner is almost a certain sign that God's grace has never taken hold of that heart. There is no peace, though, for the Christian who remains silent to God. That Christian is bothered. Their father loves them too much to go without discipline. This is the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 38. He says, There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. 
My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. That's what a Christian with unconfessed sin should look like. And we should pray that that's what we will be like when we don't confess our sin. The Lord will not let us go on in indifference. But once sin is confessed, forgiven, then there's nothing left for you to bear. You can be free. All's been forgiven for Christ's sake. And then we can sing with David at the end of his psalm, his famous psalm in Psalm 51. We can sing this. Or I'm sorry, rather Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That is the goal, the end goal of asking for forgiveness and confessing sin. You are once again glad. The joy of your salvation has been restored. A willing spirit has been upheld by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then number five, one final benefit, and then we're done, of asking forgiveness. It gives glory to God. Asking for forgiveness as a Christian gives glory to God. As we saw last week, God grants forgiveness. Why? For his name's sake. When we confess our sins, it does two things. It glorifies God's justice by admitting how unworthy we are and how much debt we are in before him. It it gives glory to his infinite holiness and perfection that can't let this sin go unaddressed. And we remember how his justice was served when we bring it and nail it to the cross of Christ. When we remember that Christ paid for that sin. Christ was the means whereby God could both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. His divine justice was satisfied by the sacrifice of his son for us. And then second, it glorifies God's mercy. His justice and his mercy Even though he wasn't bound in any way to show you and me mercy, he did out of his own free will because he wanted to, because it's in his nature. Isaiah 30, 18 says that he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. And so when we apply to him for fresh mercy, new mercy every morning, the new mercy that he's willing to give brings him a great amount of glory. This is one of the purposes brothers and sisters, that we have in meeting here together every week. The reason we sing so many songs about our salvation, the reason we glory in it, is because it's all we have. It's what he has done for us. The marvelous salvation that he has done in both satisfying his justice and his mercy. And we're the recipients. And so we proclaim, and with this I'll be done, along with the prophet Micah, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future for Jesus' sake. We will never be held legally accountable for any of them. That you've justified us, you've sanctified us in the name of the Lord Jesus and that we stand before you today, like Romans 5 tells us, in a state of grace.
We thank you that you are also sanctifying us by the spirit that you've put into us. Thank you, Spirit, for working in us to make us sensitive to sin and willing to admit sin. Thank you for confession as an ongoing means of grace in our lives. Where we are reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and are able to apply to it, come to it again each day afresh for forgiveness of the sins that we commit. Thank you for the gift of a clean and a clear conscience in Jesus Christ. And this week now, give us your help, your aid to be quicker to see sin in ourselves. May we be grieved more at our own sin than at the sins of others. And O oh Lord, we pray for this humble and contrite spirit that trembles at your word, the kind of sacrifice you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.